Greetings and welcome to Cool Radio Stories, a podcast for independent radio stations in small to medium-sized markets, presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now here's your host, Tom Dobrez. Thank you, Mr. Announcer. You are indeed listening to Cool Radio Stories. I'm your host, Tom Dobrez, owner of Cool Radio Streaming. With us today is a gentleman that has been involved with a handful of small and medium-sized market radio stations for multiple decades all across America, from the heartland of Indiana to oil country in West Texas. He's been called a big thinker for small markets. Our guest today is Chris Fleming. Chris, thanks for joining us today and sharing your cool radio story with us. I appreciate it. Chris, we're looking forward, indeed, to hearing your cool radio story. But first, a few programming notes before we begin. There's, uh, of course, the cloud of COVID-19 hanging over this production at this particular time. The world remains in sort of a transition from being completely closed to smaller, gradual openings across the country. And we are going to hear Chris's thoughts about that and survival tactics for radio stations during this troubled time, but we're going to table that towards the end of our show. In the meantime, I want to inform you that our listener that we'll also hear from attorney John Garziglia during our Ask John segment. We'll be asking John about some pressing legal matters in the radio world, and then we'll also check in with John Wanzung of Radio Max for his insightful audio column we call Digging Into Digital. But first things first, Chris, let's start at the beginning. Always curious to hear the answer to this one. What was your radio job number one? Well, I worked uh, various part-time jobs while I was going to college. I went to college in upstate New York, Ithaca College. And I worked uh, many as three jobs at once. There would be days where I'd be heard on two or three stations 50 miles apart on the same day. Uh, But my first full-time job was actually in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, in the UP. Uh, I, I remember three things about that job. Uh, the first being there was a five-mile steel deck bridge between uh, Mackinac City and the UP, and it uh, you fishtailed over it because it was a steel deck bridge. I can remember uh, talking to the uh, toll taker who said, if you're nervous, we'll drive your car over for you. And actually, I remember seeing a news story on CBS, I think, by John Stossel, who did an expose on that. And then he tried the same thing on the George Washington Bridge in New York. Completely different reaction. Um, the other things I remember there is that the uh, most of the money came out of the Canadian side of the border. More people live there. But the biggest employer was the Indian Casino, the Sioux Tribe of Chippewa Indians. And most people didn't give them credit for the economic impact that they had. So they started circulating $2 bills. It took about 30 days, but every restaurant in town had a $2 bill special. So take that, right? Um, and the last thing I remember about leaving there, um, I went out with some friends the night before I was going to depart. And there was one of those roadside signs with the removable letters. And it said boat rental, seven ninety nine. Well, I changed the B to a G. 
and then went inside to have a conversation about the goat. I got through the whole conversation. I never cracked, but I was rolling on the ground at the end when I walked out. <laughs> so there's my memories of Sault Ste. Marie. Definitely a unique part of the world, the Youpers, indeed. So from there, a great amount of travel across the country, different positions. What did you kind of figure out about yourself? I got, I got really good at fixing things. Station was broken, I could fix it. And that uh, gives you a lot of opportunity, but also a lot of addresses. How about a particular highlight of some of those travels or a fond memory of one of your fix-it projects? Uh, I remember working in Hartford, Connecticut and rebuilding WHCN-FM. Um, it had kind of fallen on hard times, and myself and a couple of other guys went in there and turned that thing around in six months. Well, let's chat a little bit about you know, maybe some of those strategies and tactics that you've used as you've gone from market to market to sure there's some form of consistency in your presence and your tactics as you go forward and visit a new market? Well, I think that the tactics are the same no matter what city you're in. I'm like, take Lafayette where I am now. Um, my first 30 days, I just picked up the phone and called people and said, hi, I'm new. Let's have lunch. And that's a pretty good tactic. In 30 days, you pretty much meet all the players in town. And then you ask them, who am I missing? Who should I see next? And everybody seems to want to introduce you to the next person. So that's one network. From the audience standpoint, you uh, build the, like you said, the, the product, the music part of it. And then you deliver on that. You play the things people want to hear. It's a funny thing. We always get these complaints about, you know, you guys play the same songs over and over again. And then you ask somebody, well, what, what should we do differently? They don't know. Which is why some of the streaming services struggle because no one wants to be the curator of the product. That's our job. You know, I'll quote a great radio programmer I once was associated with. He said that uh, he got his instructions from Keith Moon, of course, the drummer of The Who who said uh, playing the drums are not about keeping the beat. It's what you do in between the beats that matter. And the program director, Tony, said, well, for him, it's not about the songs you play, but it's about what you do in between the songs that matters. And that is being in a community, reflecting that community, both in music certainly is an important, vital ingredient, but then it's that what you're doing in between the songs that matters. Yeah, I had a... In uh, West Texas, we had a uh, Tejano station, which is unique to Texas. Um, and the music is in Spanish. The presentation's in English. Uh, but I used to say about that station, if I went on the air and said the station was on fire, I would then have 100 people with buckets in the parking lot to put the fire out. Well, speaking of putting out fires, it appears that that's been a big part of your career track, going to different markets and resurrecting, as you said, fixing radio stations. Do you view yourself as a fireman? Yeah, I think more of, more of an auto mechanic. Open the hood. Let's look at the engine. Let's look how we can make it more efficient. All right, let's stick with that metaphor of an automobile and a mechanic and a car has an engine and tires and steering wheels, just like... A radio station has its component parts of sales and programming, promotions, etc. 
I assume you've uh, done your share of hiring, so I'd like to talk about some of those hiring practice, but then also as an auto mechanic when you came in and saw maybe some dysfunction in the uh, radio universe, were you able to fix some bad hires? You know, like repair the engine's parts. Yes, you can't fix bad hires. You should get rid of them. Um, the two things I look for are the two things you cannot teach, which are desire and curiosity. You can't pe- teach people to want more, and you can't teach them to, you know, care. Those are things that have to be inherent, and that's what I look for. Everything else, it's teachable. Well, if you can't teach those uh, benign traits, how do you discover them? What are the questions? How do you get to that in a job interview? Well, you, you ask a series of questions that reveal personal information, right? How do you handle this situation? How, you know, if somebody tells you no, how are you going to convince them? Yes. Um, name something that you believe is absolutely true, but absolutely no one agrees with you on, but you always try to convince somebody you're right. People that do that, they want a little bit more and they're curious. So now you've got a team of somewhat like-minded individuals. However, we all know that once inside the same building in the confines of a business, uh, personalities, issues could come up. Communication, of course, is key. What and how do you keep this uh, team that you assemble together? That's uh, funny as we're in the communication business and we suck at it. All right. And it's funny and every business sucks at it. But it's ironic when we do it because we're in the communication business. So, you know, you've got to over communicate. You know, the friend of mine likes to say it's not enough to communicate clearly. It's you have to communicate to not be misunderstood. And so you you have to build groups, work groups. I usually take people that are not related, take the traffic person and the engineer and a salesperson and try to make a team out of that. So that there's some cross pollination, and people learn new skills, new new uh, discussion points, new points of view. So, how do you keep that cross pollination from destroying the unit inside? You know, that there's small tensions, natural tensions in a radio station, various departments. How do you keep everybody uh, cohesive? Well, I, I think that there there are some traditional moats. And radio stations, you know, sales and programming is the obvious one. Um, I come from all those departments. I've had just about every job on the planet. And so I don't think that I allow those conversations to get testy. Like, I know how to do that. He knows how to do that. You know how to do that. Everybody knows what they're doing. Let's give people credit for what they do. Or you can go do it. Right. I think the army does this. They, they, they make everybody change jobs for a day. I've always wanted to try that in a station. I think it would screw everybody up, but you would, you would solve that problem. Right. Now, you know what the other person's challenges each day. Kind of the biblical adage, uh, spend some time in someone else's shoes. You know, we had Dean Sorensen on the first episode of cool radio stories, and he shared one of his strategies wherein a salesperson maybe have withheld an order or forgot to put it in. And here it was, you know, two minutes before five o'clock on a Friday. And they, oh, well, this order is supposed to run all weekend, typically a holiday weekend, right? As the cases, every traffic person will tell you. 
So Adin said, sure, we'll, we'll get that order in. We'll get it scheduled. But you're going to sit with the traffic until it's done. And he said that went a long way to, to preventing those in the future. And even when they didn't, it still gave a, a certain amount of respect uh, throughout the team. I'm going to switch gears just ever so slightly, uh, Chris, while we got a second here to ask you about technology and just in general how you approach that from uh, your various uh, radio station experiences. Well, I, I consider myself to be pretty connected. And I also believe it's our responsibility to put our product in front of as many people as possible, wherever they are. And from a distribution standpoint, uh, you know, I was an early adopter to streaming. I was an early adopter for Alexa, an early adopter for mobile apps for every station. You know, I think the, the connected car is coming, right? And if we're not in CarPlay mm -hmm. and Android Auto, then we're going to be left out. There may not be a radio in a car in five years, in 10 years, but there will be these mobile applications. Do we have that real estate carved out? I think the, the term I like to use is platform agnostic. So the product can exist no matter how the consumer wants to, to consume it. It's a pretty simple adage, be everywhere your listener is. Right. And we just have to embrace that. I mean, yes, there's a lot of capital tied up in the current infrastructure, but if I want to listen on my smartphone, you have to embrace that. So that's more or less the distribution side of technology, you know, being everywhere your listener is, whether it's uh, at-home listening devices, the new car listening experience. How about the marketing side of digital, you know, social media how do you suggest radio stations approach that new frontier? So I think that there's there's two buckets of the digital world, right? There are owned assets, there are third-party assets. And I think that people, I think when I read 80% of people are buying this stuff, they're buying targeted display ads, Facebook ads, they're buying video ads. So they're going to buy them from somebody. They might as well buy them from us. All these pure play digital companies, they want what we have, which is a customer list. All these radio station owners, they want the revenue that the pure play digital people have. So we should be able to capture that. We're the ones with the on-the-ground relationships, right? The problem is legacy sellers don't want to deal with this stuff because they don't understand it. You know, I've been on calls with, you know, the 30-year veteran who's, you could see the scroll, the LED scroll across the forehead Please don't ask me that question, that question at all, right? I'm afraid. Uh, the other thing is the broadcast metric is one thing. We, we know that. We know that if we deliver X amount of audience, this is what's going to come out the bottom of the funnel. We don't know what the digital metric is. We have to understand that three or four or five is a good number in that world. I think you hit on a real key point there. You know, radio stations have been more or less focused on a metric of average quarter hour. And typically it'd be in the thousands or tens of thousands. And that's been our way of marketing. And yet now you have a system that exists out there that is perhaps the most accurate measurement of media's impact uh, that there is. And that's digital statistics and the Google Analytics and things that are available to advertisers and marketers on our side of the fence as well. 
and people are not realizing uh, the magnitude of how impactful we could be. And it, it also brings up at the very beginning of your conversation about how the digital world side of things really wants what radio stations have. You know, I thought that was interesting how you were bringing up that kind of reality of they want what we got, we want what they got. They got the money right now going into them, we got the audience. And I am reminded of an NAB radio show I went to years ago and walked into the exhibit hall at the time. Uh, you know, it's sort of the early ages of the digital world. And I walked into the exhibit hall and there just a massive presentation. You know, typically you got these 10 by 10 booths and you got folks like Arbitron at the time having maybe two or three booths. This was a massive six to 10, who knows, 15 booth space that one company had. And it's just greeted you as soon as you walked in the door. And there it was, that multicolored logo that said Google. And my immediate reaction was, what the heck does Google want and doing at a radio convention? And after thinking it through, talking to some of the folks over there, it became obvious they wanted our audience. They wanted our listeners, our connection to those individuals that we talk to, that we have an emotional bond with every single day in our local community. So I want to maybe put a pin in that conversation. We're going to take a break to hear from uh, John Garziglia on the legal front. But when we return, uh, Chris, you and I had been chatting. One of the things that fascinates me about what you've done at your various radio stations is you've come up with one of the more unique approaches to approaching an advertiser that I've ever heard and I want to explore that when we return to hear your cool radio story. It's time to Ask John, a regular feature where we ask John Garziglia, a partner with the FCC law firm Womble Bond Dickinson, about legal matters facing the broadcast radio industry. Today's email bag question for John Garziglia comes as a result of a recent fine in the six digits to the Salem Media Group. The FCC fined them for a program that was not live, but instead was pre-recorded in the day and age of voice tracking and other means of getting radio programs out to citizens. John, can you clarify what the FCC guidelines are on what is live? Well, the radio stations in this instance were running a program called Healthline Live and purporting to take phone calls from listeners. These programs were running several years after being recorded on radio stations. The FCC fined the radio station licensee $50,000 for a violation of Section 73-1208 of the FCC rules for presenting a taped or recorded program of which time is of special significance or for which an affirmative attempt is made to appear live without announcing at the beginning of the program that it was taped, filmed, or recorded. This FCC rule was adopted years ago, long before voice tracking, computer methods of program delay, and other modern programming practices. And unfortunately, the FCC gave no indication in its decision here how this rule applies to this myriad of uh, modern-day programming practices. It is worth noting that FCC actions in regard to this rule are generally taken as a result of a complaint. You're not going to see the FCC going out and looking for radio stations that are violating the rule. But uh, the substantial fine indicates the FCC 
still takes the rules seriously. I think the prudent radio station will review its programming practices and be sure that an announcement is made prior to any non-live programming that a reasonable listener might interpret as being presented live. This probably includes voice tracking, recorded news and weather broadcasts, the rebroadcast of play-by-play sports, any programming in which the listener calls are taken, and any delayed broadcasts of syndicated program that otherwise broadcast live. Um, you'll probably want to consult with your own communications council on this because there are a variety of programming elements that may merit such an announcement. And then, as a final note, it's prudent to observe that under the FCC rule, any program with the name live in its title should be preceded by the announcement that this program was pre-recorded, assuming it was. Welcome back. We've been listening to the cool radio story of Chris Fleming. Chris has worked a number of markets, small to medium, across the country. He's a kind of a fixer-upper. He takes uh, radio stations that might have been challenged and comes in there and really revitalizes them, primarily focusing on the revenue aspects of a radio station. And his sales guidance uh, through the years has been terrific. And I'm going to encourage you to reach out to him. We'll have some links in the show notes. He has a blog as well as a YouTube channel that now is featuring ideas on categories that you should be pursuing. And Chris has some really unique approaches to the sales process. And I want to begin, uh, return to that. Chris, why don't you just kind of walk us through initially your sales process? Yeah. So my, my thing was always to figure out what it took to use my station successfully and then go sell that. Right. The people having the most success are spending X amount of dollars. Do you want to have success or not, sir or madam? Right. It's a completely different way to approach rather than what's your budget. That's the dumbest question ever asked because most of them don't have budgets. They pull a number out of their behind and then you have to live with it. And then you have to cram your radio station into that number and say, oh, I came up with something that I think will work. I like to go on day one to my sellers and say, okay, there's a man in the lobby with a wheelbarrow full of cash. He wants to buy your radio station. You have to sell it to him. All right. You can sell him anything you want. Money's no object. The only caveat is if it doesn't work, he's going to come back here and end your life. So what are you going to sell him? And then I get these wonderful, great, long stories about, I want to sell them this and that and the other thing. And then I ask, how many of those do we have on the air now? And the answer is always zero. And that's where we start building our sales team from that point where we don't have the optimal people on the air. We're going to change that. So let's define that more. Is it So you're asking them just to go and get the low-hanging fruit, go get the advertisers they want on the air? Uh, no, you no, know, it's just, it's it's all low-hanging fruit. It's just a matter of the presentation. To me, you have to present, this is how to use my product successfully. If you're going to use radio, this is how you should use it. Not how you think you should use it. I'm going to tell you how to use it because I'm the expert, right? My plan for your success is better than your plan for your success. Let's do it this way. And then lo and behold, they will have success and more success breeds more success. All right, so let's pretend I am a rookie walking in. What does that look like? What do you present to them to, to teach somebody what the value and how to use your radio station is? I call it mom, which is a monthly minimum, right, that they should be spending. And I have a, I have a uh, target. And let's just say it's 1000 and 2000 And anywhere between 1000 and 2000 is where they have room to negotiate. 
because if the average keeps going up, so does my revenue. It's base 10 math here. It's fingers and toes. I'm not doing brain surgery. Okay, well, it may not be brain surgery, but it is a little confusing to me. Could we break this down, this mom? Yeah, monthly order minimum. And yeah, and I just, I use that. I take the total number of orders divided by the number of dollars. And I use that as my baseline. All right, so if I'm grasping this, you are taking the entire revenue spent on your station monthly and dividing that by the number of advertisers and coming up with this average spend of each advertiser. And then you're making that public, you're sharing it? Sure, with my staff, I share it with my advertisers. Hey, this is this is where this is what the average is. Do you want to be above average or not? So you're more or less building this minimum spend concept at the radio station based on all the other advertisers in the market. So this sounds like a neat way to sort of break down a budget. I hate to use that term because I know what you said about it, but it gives the ability for sellers in the marketplace to know what is a reasonable amount to spend on radio, and then they can communicate that to their clients, both old and new. Right, but if you look, if you look at the peer advertisers, hey, this is what includes the French judge and the Russian judge, right? But you have a, a baseline to work off of, and it's usually pretty accurate. The, the number one question I used to get and probably three times a day, people calling up, how much is advertising? All right. Now I can answer them. Well, on average, people who buy this radio station spend X. Now I've set their expectation. Now when I show up to solve their problem and I ask them to spend that kind of money, they're not shocked. They're not surprised. And I, you know, I usually, I usually end up being more expensive than everybody else in town. And I'm fine with that. I, I say, look, I can do one of three things for you. I can make you the starting quarterback in the Super Bowl where you throw the winning touchdown pass. I can put you in the stands where the guy next to you spills beer on you, or you can sit on your couch and eat pork grinds. Which do you want? So you've effectively established this baseline by which advertisers can look and say where they are on that continuum, if they're below, if they're way above, if they're in the middle. Chances are you only have a handful of people at the top of that. Right. And so every new person is coming in at the new average. Every old person you're managing to that point. Hey, look, we got to get you. We got to run some more commercials here. You're only running four commercials a week. That's not enough. I know somebody once told you it was probably enough, but it's not. Let me look. Let me show you what's happening here. Let me show you what people are doing. And so, again, that peer validation gets the cheap person to become less cheap. Dare I say, in a way, you're working towards one's ego in dealing with uh, marketers or local retailers and their sense of where they are as a relationship to the other businesses in the community? Nobody, nobody wants to hear that they are on the low end of the stick, right? Yeah. Do you really want to be that guy? No, I want to be a VIP. Well, this is how you get to the VIP right here. So there's a lot of, there, look, I, I teach basic human psychology, right? I don't teach how to sell radio. I teach how, how to deal with people, how to deal with personality types, how to spot how people think and how they process. That's different. I mean, we, we have rote training methodologies in this business that we've been using 50 years and none of them deal with people. All of them are self-centered. All of them are about us. 
I, I could teach a trained monkey to do the media part, but I can't teach them how to deal with people. That's a learned skill, reading the room, understanding our role in the entire conversation. So we've established our monthly order minimum, and we've taken our older advertisers that have been on for a while and tried to raise them up to that minimum. Anybody new that comes into the station advertiser sort of has that benchmark starting point that your sellers are encouraging them to be at, at least as a minimum. That ends up over time raising the bar overall. So the average monthly minimum goes up and keeps going up as this process continues to roll out. And that works. I've been, I've been using it for, I, I've been using it for 20 years. I mean, I've, I took the average order in Lafayette uh, up 25% over a two year period. Well, there's living proof. So let's uh, break down what you mentioned a moment ago to this uh, idea of the psychology of the sale. How do you keep yourself up to speed on and what maybe resources have you used to f that you study? Uh, you know, I, I'd probably read a book a month um, and I try to stay up on, you know, things I can do, things I can learn, always be learning, right? Curiosity. Um, so I think that there's a great book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I don't know if you've read it. He's a former uh, FBI hostage negotiator. So my guess is he's done more than negotiate media deals. People died if he didn't do a good job. Nobody dies if we don't do a good job. All right. Uh, I thought his book was fantastic. One of his, his best lines in the whole thing is, how do you expect me to do that? It's a great response when somebody asks for something ridiculous. Because now they have to be you, the empathy part. How do you expect me to do that? Seems like a great way to approach that one guy in every market that's always asking for the best deal, the lowest rates in town, and beats everybody up. Yes. And so, and then, and then I'm calling them cheap without saying, "Hey, you're cheap." So I, I had a, a seller work for me years ago, and he was he was a fantastic seller. And his response to that I've kept, which was, "Is that really what's important to you? Because if it is, I'll sit here and spend time on that, but I don't think it is." I think it's that cash register over there. And if I can get it to ring, you're not going to care what the cost per spot is. That I believe is the key to any successful sales career is if you uh, begin to understand and remind your customer that essentially they're not buying for your reasons as a radio station that we're number one in every day part, but they're going to buy for their reasons that they need to have people walk into that door. We're going to talk about that in an era of the economy right now under the COVID-19 crisis in America where people are not able perhaps to walk into businesses or will not be able to do business the way they have been for some time. We're going to get, Chris, I'd like to get your impressions of the COVID crisis and how radio stations could respond. But first, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our radio partners. <laughs> Your ears are dialed into Cool Radio Stories, a podcast presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now a word from a radio partner. Hi, this is Scott Murray, president and founder of Big Deals Media. Our mission is to help media companies create powerful new business advertising programs paid for in part with trade or gift certificates. You might be familiar with Groupon or other deals programs. 
And while we all deal with gift certificates as the currency, I can tell you with 100% certainty that Big Deals is a well-thought-out, appealing marketing program for your advertisers and a much more lucrative revenue solution for your company. You see, while many deals programs are a revenue share, where your company is splitting the sale of the certificates as much as 50%, with Big Deals, you keep 93% of your sales. And to ensure your success, we actually come into your market to work directly with your sellers so your sales team sees firsthand the best way to present this solution. Big Deals is changing the way Main Street is buying local media. Today, we have over 3,000 businesses participating in a Big Deals program, and that number is growing every day. How much revenue can you drive from a Big Deals program? We have affiliates generating in excess of $200,000 annually and have been doing so with us since we launched Big Deals during the last economic downturn 10 years ago. Think about it. How good would it look on your P&L right now if your website and digital marketing efforts were driving that kind of revenue? For small businesses, barter is always a popular way of doing business. However, in an economic downturn, barter is king, and monetizing the barter is key for your company. To learn more, go to our website, bigdealsmedia.com, or call us at 952-905-3262. We're back listening to the cool radio story of Chris Fleming. Chris, I want to uh, kind of broach the topic on everybody's mind every day, it seems, in America while we're recording this podcast, and that's the coronavirus COVID-19 breakout that has uh, put quite the whammy on retail, particularly radio stations across the country feeling the brunt of it. One of the ongoing themes of this podcast is the connections that radio stations have to their communities. How would you suggest radio stations respond uh, to the current crisis? I think we're uniquely positioned because of the connection you just mentioned, right? People believe that that's my radio station. So we should be providing them the services that they're looking for. Who's open, who's closed, how to stay safe current news, forecast, you know, predictions. Um, we have the ability to be the companion to them, to be the escape when needed. And I think all those things kind of roll in. You know, consumption is up. Uh, problem is the advertisers aren't there to take advantage of it. Many of them are closed. So how can you break through to your current client base and respond to them? So, you know, what the advice I gave to my group was call and ask them how they're doing. You may be the only person they talk to that day, right? You're not there to sell anything. You're there to find out how they're doing. And then start brainstorming ideas. For the last month and a half, I've been trying to generate five leads every day, five business categories that should be buying stuff right now. And I've been sending those to friends and other broadcasters, uh, because I think that's our role. Come up with ideas. If our idea for their success is better than theirs, and it probably is, they're going to listen to us. It may not work every time, but think about it. In the sales world, you sell two out of 10 and you get put in the Hall of Fame. It's the one business where you can fail and be promoted. Indeed. You know, to kind of riff off of that, 
One of my early mentors said that, okay, let's just say your average sale is $50,000. And however, you need to really get 10 solid pitches out there before one guy says yes. So in other words, you get nine no's before that one $50,000 yes. He said, then do you realize that every no you get is worth $5,000? I thought that was a pretty impactful way to look at sales and the importance of making the call. Let's talk, uh, Chris, you have opened up a YouTube channel. We'll have links to it in the show notes where you are going weekly and sharing your five categories that you think make a lot of sense during this time for uh, radio stations to approach. Could we maybe break down one or two of those? So if we just go back to this week, uh, appliance dealers, right? More people spending time at home. Things are going to break. Recruitment. Some people are open and hiring. How can we help them get that message out? Um, I've, I've seen custom home builders doing consultations. My real estate agent says she's busier than she's ever been because interest rates have fallen so low. Are we talking to cleaning companies? I've seen a lot of more advertising from the uh, serve pros of the world and the Janet Kings talking about sanitation. That's going to be movement. And there's three or four of those in every cities, right? You talk to the merry maids, Pete. Lawn and garden. Well, again, you're spending a lot more time at home. You're going to notice every flaw where you live. Uh, same thing with home improvement and remodeling. Your house is either too small or too big right now. You're spending all your time with your family. You know, what are you doing in the backyard? Uh, mattresses. You're going to spend a whole lot of time in your own bed. If you don't like it, it's pretty uncomfortable. So I, you know, every day I'm trying to generate these, just the thought process. You can have that conversation with somebody. The conversation opener is a little bit different, right? How you doing? How you feeling? How's the family? So it's more of the consultative sales process than the commoditization that we've turned this business into. It seems like it is indeed a great time to return back to just some real standard core sales principles that work no matter what industry you're in. The consultive sell, that apathy, empathy for your clients in going forward and in really helping them in every aspect to succeed. Yeah, I think we can, the, the skills that we can perfect now this type of conversation, if we carry that forward, that will set us apart and make us different from everybody else. And people will want to talk to us rather than, you know, ducking out the back door when they see your car pull up. It seems like also we may be able to be a tremendous resource by us educating ourselves about what maybe the best messaging might be, not just for us approaching the retailer, but how that retailer may use our medium to speak to the consumer who certainly has a new mindset now. You look at some of the brand messages that are out there. Uh, I think it's Stella Artois that says, we're doing this because there's always an end. There's always a tomorrow. And I think th those messages are going to start coming out now more and more as more states open up. Well, Chris, you sound very bullish and not to be punny, but uh, this sounds like it's not radio's last dance. Uh, you know, it's still a fun business. And I tell every person that I work with, I will keep doing it until it's not fun. And when it's not fun, I'll leave and go do something else. I'm still here. 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, Chris, you uh, do have a YouTube channel, which was very helpful. We'll be having links in the show notes, but also if uh, somebody just wants to reach out to you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, email or telephone. I use those tools. I am uh, Chris Fleming at USA.com. Or you can call me 765-250-1183. Well, once again, thank you. It has been a real pleasure listening to your cool radio story. Thanks for sharing it with us. No problem. It's my favorite topic, so I'm happy to talk about it anytime. Once again, the cool radio story of Chris Fleming. We do appreciate Chris for joining us here on the program. We're not finished on the podcast. Of course, it's time to dig into digital, our little audio magazine by which we uh, give you some insights and some strategies on improving your digital presence with your radio station in your individual markets. It's time to dig into digital, our segment on how you can use digital to unleash the power of your station. Here's our digital guide, Zhang Wanzhong, CEO of RadioMax. Today I want to talk about social media, specifically Facebook. In upcoming episodes, we'll talk about Twitter, we'll talk about Instagram, but today I want to talk about Facebook. And I may have mentioned this before. When we think about social media, you're a company, we're a company. What's amazing is how the social media companies have convinced us and done a really good job of convincing us to point all of our consumers to them. Because every time we point someone there, Facebook, they're the ones making the money. So we know we need to use social media. There's no question about that. It's ingrained in the process of what we do. But how can we use social media better to help drive results for us? So let's talk about Facebook. You probably have lists or you probably have followers. You have people liking your content. So what we really need to do is think about the strategy moving forward for Facebook. Number one thing is we need to figure out how we're going to measure results and the results that we want to measure. So we'll get back to that in a second, but let's talk about the content strategy. This is kind of a common strategy for Facebook and social in general, but I want to reiterate it in case some of you aren't doing this. Think about doing four posts over the course of a day, over the course of the week, or however you're doing your social media. Three of those posts, basically you want to have be informational content. Information that's going to engage the listener, something that's going to be interesting, that's going to keep them engaged. That last piece, that fourth one out of the four, is something you want to do to drive an action, something you're actually asking them to do. And this is where the opportunity comes to drive them back into our ecosystem, back into your station's ecosystem. Maybe you're doing something specific on your website where you have your advertisers or you're running a contest. Maybe on mobile. Same thing, maybe you've got a poll up on your mobile, you're engaging something on mobile, you're doing a contest. How do we drive people back to us so that we can measure those results and drive hopefully new revenue and those interactions within our ecosystem? And if we start to do that over time, we're gonna start to be able to use social media to actually drive people back to us. And again, no time soon are we ever gonna be giving up on social media but how can we better use it to drive into our ecosystem? Let's talk about measurement. With Facebook, sure, you can get a lot of likes, but what is the purpose of the content that you're actually putting up there? As we talked about before, sure, we wanna have informational, fun content to keep your listeners engaged, but at the end of the day, we've gotta drive results. 
So driving results means measurement. Take, for example, an advertiser. You may be doing something on your Facebook page to create more impact for your advertiser. And sure, having good likes for that is, is going to be you know, something that might be interesting to the advertiser. But is it truly going to drive the results you're looking for to keep that advertiser and to drive new revenue from them moving forward? So if you can actually start to use the Facebook messaging when you're talking about one of your advertisers to drive them draw them back into wherever you're really promoting them, again, on your website, on your mobile, you're going to be able to control that messaging, control the measurement, and view the measurement much better. And when you get those results, those measurement results, you're going to be able to package those up to go back to the advertiser to show them how successful that campaign was. So again, we'll talk about Twitter, we'll talk about Instagram later on. But right now, think about your strategy for Facebook. How do you use some of the content to entertain, but one out of every four pieces, you need to create a call to action to draw them back into your ecosystem where you can better measure so that you can go in, show those results to the advertisers, and hopefully drive some new revenue. That's John Wanzung, CEO of Radiomax. For more on using digital to unleash the power of your station, visit radiomax.co. Well, that does indeed wrap up the show for today. Appreciate you tuning in to hear the cool radio story of Chris Fleming. A big shout out to Chris. Please be sure to check the show notes if you want to reach out to Chris who watches YouTube videos, etc. I think they could be very helpful for you. I am Tom Dobrez, owner of Cool Radio Streaming, but my friends call me Radio Dobrez. You've been listening to Cool Radio Stories, a production of Cool Radio Streaming. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit CoolRadioStories.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.